Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Some of Our Thoughts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is Some of Our Thoughts. And today, <laughs> we have a very special guest, our very own Joey Banyasco. Joseph. Everyone. Joseph. Yes. Full name, <laughs> Joseph Tyler. <laughs> Not Joseph Marie, like it is in Carter's Joseph phone. Joseph <laughs> Marie. I don't know why you attributed that to me. It's not my name. <laughs> Um, but I'm happy to be here. I'm also, as I just mentioned, I'm just coming in hot and angry. (laughs) So hot. We do have a topic today. It's, it's kind of like a different, uh, setup or a different idea concept for this episode Mm -hmm. because we're going to focus on a idea that we (laughs) have been talking about for a while. That's wine flaws Yes. and faults. Yes. And there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. And we're just going to get into it. Let's, Let's go. do it. How angry are you, Joey? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was brushing up on my understanding of wine faults and flaws this morning. And uh, as so I'm a, a winemaker as my day job. And uh, there's microbes, right, that are mm-hmm. constantly like laying siege to the castle we're <laughs> attempting <laughs> to construct. God. Sure. They're trying to drag us down into the dark ages. <laughs> and... Uh, and some people are on the side of the microbes. That's the upsetting thing. What do you say, like the natty wine people, like my people? I have, I th- okay, I think I can draw some differences, like draw <laughs> some lines in the sand here. <laughs> I think before this, I was like, don't be mean to Carter. Just don't say, be mean to her. Yeah, are no, we going wanna, to be friends after this episode? <laughs> I want to do this on like a philosophical level. Okay, great. Right? And not name names, but. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> Can I actually, I was going to bring up like the philosophy of what is natural. Okay. Because, because yeah, there's a movement in wine sometimes Mm -hmm. called the natural wine movement. There's also, I would just say a modern, uh, mindset or worldview. Um, and it can be kind of a semantic argument, but, um, I've thought a lot about how we even use the word natural, like what is natural? Mm -hmm. What is nature? Because (laughs) this is... He said uh, philosophical, folks. Okay. Here we go. So if you think of, like, the reality of what nature is, there's, uh, in from a human perspective... Nature versus nurture. Even more so just, like, what encompasses nature? Like, what does nature define? It's uh, one of the most broad terms. Like, you could almost over-broaden it into meaninglessness. But you could certainly say that from a human perspective, there's... You could like archetypally say there's good nature and bad nature, right? There's like 
beautiful mother nature that's like a pristine meadow that you're walking through and then there's like cancer and death and decay and mold and these things cancer. are well <laughs> she said cancer <laughs> what i'm trying to say is that the that like dark side is also nature yeah of that's course. true and like true. like uh, plutonium is just as natural <laughs> as oxygen mm-hmm. like there's nothing in the periodic table there's no dividing line between like the good elements and the evil ones right it's but we interpret what is natural often or we kind of use the word natural as a proxy for like healthy or good for people right sure yeah that's what it implies mm-hmm. yes um but i feel like getting that kind of definition down is uh an interesting starting point to think about like what is a flaw or what is a fault because it's not so simple as to say like this wine is natural and this one is unnatural as from a like a winemaking perspective yeah I, I think much that it's much more useful in the production process at least to think of this as an applied science like we're trying to engineer a product wine that is like optimally uh well engineered for uh or engineered to be palatable to humans mm. so we're, we're trying to uh, work with nature with this grapevine that has a certain you yeah. know, DNA in a certain uh, natural form and shape it into something that people are going to like. Right. And so naturally, well, that's the question is <laughs> like, what is natural? Like, it's not like farming isn't nature. Farming is us mm-hmm. toying with nature sort yeah, of yeah. selecting like we're eliminating the weeds and letting and watering the vines. And so that's already like humans intervening. And then when we get into like winemaking, like the grapes don't just crush themselves right. and press right. themselves <laughs> and end up in a barrel somehow naturally. But like, that's why we call it like low intervention. Yes. And I think that's like, and I guess part of this is my like hyper, like literal brain, but uh, <laughs> a term like low intervention, um, makes a lot more sense and and it actually explains what people might be doing or not doing um and yeah anyways i was going to go into (laughs) all this stuff with like rousseau and naturalism anyways we're kind of past that um (laughs) wow you really went in on this This he's got like a book in front of him that he wrote i think last night a lot of feelings (laughs) and a lot of thoughts Um, also beautiful penmanship joey it's not that's okay you can't read anything. i'm just kidding no it is it's pretty (laughs) um I'm opening some wine because I talking about wine makes me thirsty. Yeah. yeah. And then hey. I guess the kind of wrapping up that idea of winemaking as an applied science or almost like a form of engineering is that like what our end goal is with that engineering or that science is kind of this crowdsourced function. Like we we don't make wine or we probably commercially shouldn't make wine just to appeal like to oneself. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. sort of... Uh, by necessity to appeal to like the collective palette and yeah i think that like collective palette or that idea of like what everyone sort of agrees on sort of is what dictates wine flaws or faults sure so i feel like i can't even though i would like to come in i can't come in here and convince everyone to start liking or disliking a certain aroma they're gonna feel they're gonna have a gut reaction yeah, but we sure. can we can outline some of the aromas you can get in wines and talk about like, uh, are there any of these that we can categorically say are just unpleasant and <laughs> not appealing in any way? And I think the answer is yes. I think so. What do you think? 
I think that you know right away whether you like something or not. And I yeah. love what I just put in my mouth. <laughs> there was a, a so justice good. of the Supreme Court years ago that said of pornography. <laughs> I quote, love where this his, is going. His quote was, I know it when I see it. Ooh. Yeah. But much to your point. Yeah, that's right. Well, when people come into my shop, we're, we are a natural wine shop. We categorize ourselves as a natural wine shop and importer. And distributor and um, people say like what is natural wine and I say low intervention the least amount of human interference in the winemaking process for sticklers like Joey mm-hmm. um, then I tell people there's a very wide spectrum of natural wine where there's everything from like very traditional conventional representations of certain grapes and processes and then there are the really wild natty weird funky Gunky. Funky gunky. There are a lot of those. <laughs> That's right. This one, so, I mean. And if, oh. I, don't, I don't want to uh, let it be understood that I am saying in any way <laughs> that all natural wines have any flaws because that's not the case. No. There are plenty of, of low intervention or wines that fall into the natural category that are not flawed or, or don't have any fault or any flaw at all. Yeah. He's on the record as saying that. And there's, <laughs> and there's quote, like, conventionally made or wines made with all the modern tools that still end up terribly. Yes. 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 Certain, yeah, uh, ones that shall not be named <laughs> but drank out of necessity, like gas station wine is what I say. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let, do you want to, like, just dig into some flaws can you first tell me what we're tasting? Oh yeah, God, let's talk yeah. about this wine. Okay, this one is really, really exciting, actually. This is uh, a red wine from a natural winemaker in California. I California. thought it was red. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. It looks pretty red, eh? It's pretty dark. Um, it's called Flaws, which I thought was appropriate. Um, it's kind of just this guy's cheeky little way of saying uh, a lot by that. Uh, where do I begin? Okay, this guy. He, I like it. Yeah, you like it? <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Um, his name is Avi uh, Dexler, and he's been making wine since 2016. He uh, has turned all of uh, all of them into mags, which is a, a size of a bottle. It's called a magnum. That is essentially just two bottles of wine in one. But it uh, it's very... Dramatic. It has this big mm-hmm. uh, pasted label on it sideways, and it's kind of meant to be haphazard, kind of slapped on there. There's a beautiful, it's all broken off, but all of the red wax uh, melted onto the top, and it comes down the neck of the bottle. And um, he's got a lot of different kinds of wine. Um, mostly deals with uh, Carignan Syrah. This one has... Um, it's Grenache dominant, but it's a blend of Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, Abarillo. I'm probably saying that wrong. I it's, don't know the grape. It's a French grape that I've come across a handful of times at the wine shop. Mm. It's A B O U R I O U, Abarillo. I don't know what that is. We'll go with that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm probably butchering that, but um, mostly Syrah and Petite Syrah, and gosh, you can just tell Super by the peppery. color. Yeah, it is. Whoa. Yeah, and um, okay, so just a, like a couple things. It's uh, fruit purchased from the Poor Ranch in uh, Hopland, Mendocino, California. 
sandy soil, dry farm, 40-year-old vines. And um, it's been organic since its inception in the 70s, um, which, like most vineyards, are organic, right? I mean, that's not like a... It's a legal definition, unlike some of the other things we've been talking about. Yeah. So, like, if, you're, if your vineyard is certified organic, the... I believe it's the FDA, actually, mm. uh, or the EPA, one of them, has a set of rules. Mm-hmm. And so there's certain, say, insecticides, fungicides, chemicals that um, are generally approved for use, say, in the USA. And there's a smaller subset of that that would be approved for, like, organic use. And then you run into that same philosophical question, like, can you spray a bunch of copper and sulfur on plants in an organic farm? The answer is yes. Is are high levels of copper good for you? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely not. <laughs> I just want to break everyone's definition. Do it. Sure, no. Break everyone's But this wine mind. is really good. It is really good. And not flawed. Well, that's kind of the joke, right? And then on all of the, his bottles, he literally just has, it says ingredients with a colon, and then it just says grapes, because he's a snarky little <laughs> shit. <Yeah. laughs> But I respect the hell out of you if you're listening ever. I haven't um, had a wine this dry in a long time. In a long like time, right? And tannic. It's really good. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, it's grippy. It's like you notice mm-hmm. it right away, the tannins. Yeah. And um, the cool thing about him when I was doing research for this, um, apparently he started as a cooper and does his own cooperage. Oh, wow. For That's his cool. barrels, yeah. And then um, ferments in all the barrels, all the wine. But it's it's a very specific uh, environment that he wants to create for the wine. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the process, he does whole clusters and a raw oak barrel, which is very important to him. And then they're barrel rolled for 10 days pressed after 10 days and then back in the raw oak barrels for a year one whole year and they're unfined and unfiltered yeah very nice right yummy it is yummy so we just needed something to drink while we talk about all these different flaws (sighs) and faults i hope uh, hope we'll find some area of contention (laughs) oh you want you want to fight (laughs) i'd like to fight politely Um, (laughs) we'll fight with our words so I'll, I'll fight. <laughs> I know you will, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> also, wait, can we explain? Because I don't think we've said, like, we've talked about Joey a million times on this podcast. Oh, we have. Heard. In, like, every single episode. I've heard the things that you've said. <laughs> I heard what Charlie we said. We love Joey. <laughs> we love Joey. We kind of wouldn't be here without Joey. Like, he's Sarah's Charlie commented. House. I've he's heard comments boss. on my mood and temperament. That's right. On this podcast. And I'm here to address them. They're undeniable. Feedback <laughs> is necessary to grow. That's right. That's right. But yes, I'm <laughs> winemaker at Valley Mills Vineyards, and um, we're a winery here near Waco. And, That's right. Um, You've been a winemaker at three places now. Yes, and so I've learned. I've all three are Texas wineries, and I would say all uh, there's certain continuities. Uh, between, say, the winemaking philosophy at all three places and what mm. I kind of learned from the other folks I worked for and um, and have brought forward. And because there's some things that are just pretty much standard practice in our industry and, right. you know, that everyone's basically doing the same. And then there's areas that people will differentiate themselves or have disagreements on certain practices, like mm-hmm. certain things you could call a shortcut or some people would say cheating or mm. um, like what additions to wine are acceptable. Like you were mentioning yeah. the, the one ingredient being grapes, like that's a, a, I don't know, you could say a tradition or a philosophy that I'm very much uh, in favor of. Like if just to call it a wine um, 
unfortunately, well, legally, you're supposed to say like fruit wine or flavored wine on the label in the United States if, say, you actually use like some blackberries. That's supposed to be labeled as a fruit wine, right? And But it can create some confusion in the industry because if someone has made a traditional wine from grapes as the only ingredient <laughs> and then actually added a flavor at some point, um, yeah, they're supposed <laughs> to, uh, in the eyes of like the TTB, they're supposed to label it accordingly. Um, and yeah, it would be nice for it to be even more simple and for all consumers to just be able to see the word wine and assume that 100% of the time, 100% of the ingredients are grapes and grapes alone. Right. And that's mostly the case. Um, but there's some gray area in winemaking where like you can add an oak barrel. You can also add like oak dust. Mm-hmm. So it's like, are you adding something foreign to your wine that's unnatural? Or is that basically replicating an extra little dose of oak? Mm-hmm. And so that's an area in which I would generally say it's often unnecessary for red wines. Sometimes it is. Like sometimes we will... Uh, use maybe that little shortcut right at the end of the barrel aging process for a red mm-hmm. wine that doesn't quite have enough structure on the palate or something. And some people might forego that option or say that that's uh, cheating. Mm. Interesting <laughs> stuff here, guys. But we're not cheaters. <laughs> we're, we're using the tools that are available. Um, yeah. So anyways, I guess that's that. this is getting into like winemaking philosophy, which, again, I would say uh, ours is to think of it as an applied science, and we're trying to make the best possible product. Um, we're going to have com- some, uh, some constraints, such as, again, using all grapes as our only ingredient. Right. Um, the, yeah, some of the, some of the differences, I, I will point out one difference between uh, what's called natural winemaking or low intervention and maybe typical practical, uh, not practical. <laughs> practical. <laughs> Let me Shots restate fired, this. Hold on. Right? <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. Uh, no cuts. <laughs> I would say, let me point out a, a difference um, in fermentation between what's sometimes called natural uh, versus, um, I don't know, typical standard winemaking. Sure. Um, in the use of yeasts. So mm. often... Um, Natural wines are marketed. Um, uh, ah, how can I say this properly? There, it's um, put forward as a benefit that they are not inoculated, that um, that no like commercial laboratory strain of yeast has been added to the grapes, mm-hmm. and that they've been fermented on natural yeast. And I'm doing finger quotes. Like wild? Would that be like indigenous? Or right. okay. So wild yeast, natural yeast, right? So that's the yeast that's floating around in the air. That's right. That's the yeast that's on the skins of the grapes. And even more so, um, it's the gr- it's whatever the most powerful yeast is, the alpha strain of yeast that's in that winery or in that cellar where the fermentation is happening is what takes over that fermentation. Um, and so one of the uh, <laughs> things that follows from that is that if you have ever inoculated, added a very strong laboratory strain of yeast, that's probably what's finishing most of your fermentations anyways. Um, there's a couple good studies to show that like you generally build up kind of like a house strain of yeast in your winery that finishes all your fermentations, regardless of what you think you're doing. Hmm. Um, would that be like indicative or like part of the terroir included in that? Yeah. So your like microbiome is usually considered kind of a part of terroir because terroir is kind of this big catch all term for all of the local influence, all the things we can't explain, we kind of shove into that box of 
was it your soil? Was it your little, you know, the angle and the slope climate, of climate, your... weather, right? All yeah. these little things down to like, what are the local bacteria and yeast that are in your vineyard and mm. in your winery? Awesome. Um, and, but I would like to break down this natural unnatural difference with yeast. Yeast are the same. Like saying that a you're using wild yeast versus a laboratory strain of yeast is like saying like. Um, I only find my dogs on the street. I would never get them from a breeder because those aren't real dogs or those are fake dogs. Or something. Like they're all dogs. These are all, they should all be loved and they should all have a home. But these are all dogs. It is incorrect to say that I got it from a breeder. Therefore, it's not. Yeah. And it's it's a good analogy because when we I often will use a commercial strain of yeast. Mm-hmm. That's like getting a like registered dog from a breeder, and you're like, I know what it's going to be like. Yeah, sure. I yeah. know the attributes yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of like kind of what an analogy. Roll though. the <laughs> dice. You guys want to roll the dice on a wild mongrel? That's fine. Yeah, my dogs are trash dogs. I literally <laughs> found them in an alleyway, <laughs> drinking out of a muddy puddle. That was bandit, but I love her more I than d- a other dog. Right. Yeah. So yeast is yeast. It, yeah. it ferments. It wants to ferment. Long story short. <laughs> yes. Boy, that's great. I told you I've, I've seen a girl break out before after drinking a wine. Mm-hmm. She, she goes, was this wild yeast? And I really, I, it was so hard for me not to laugh at her. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're like genuinely asking me that. I was like, that wouldn't be why you're breaking out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of superstition amongst our clientele. Was this wild yeast? <laughs> I think it was the way she said it too. I was like, what do you what think you're drinking? <laughs> I feel bad laughing now. I don't. <laughs> okay. Sarah. Anyway, I, faults I, and flaws. I feel like I can, okay, can I propose a short list of wine flaws that um, versus faults? Uh-huh. And I'll start with the faults. <laughs> the difference being that a fault is generally considered like negative in every case. It right. makes the wine undrinkable. Versus a flaw could be maybe okay in some circumstances or under a certain threshold. And then if it maybe dominates the entire wine could become a problem. And for natural wine drinkers such as myself, some flaws are subjective and like not necessarily considered like undrinkable. It just like orange, you know, skin contact Mm -hmm. wine. Not it's not for everybody, but I've come around to it. Yes. And they have grown on me. And I agree that that is more properly called like a, uh, there's some subjectivity there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the things that I, uh, and I think most wine professionals would say are just plain negative. Um, and this is, uh, take for granted that what I'm saying is over a certain uh, perception threshold, um, almost any compound in a solution like wine, if, if it is below a certain threshold, you can't even notice it or perceive it. But at the point at which the concentration of these compounds in our wine rises to the level um, that's the perception or the recognition threshold, um, these things I would say are always a bad thing. So (laughs) first on the list for me is uh, acetic acid or Uh um, vinegar, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, We're trying to make wine, not vinegar. And (laughs) I think this is an easy one for anyone out there. They know what vinegar tastes like. Yeah. And if your first impression of a wine is that it smells sour and it tastes like pickle juice or vinegar, um, for me, that's never what the winemaker was trying to do. Right. So I'm out on that. Hopefully. 
Um, there's two other associated compounds um, that with acetic acid because all three of these are typically going to be produced by acid um, by uh, acetic acid bacteria, right? Um, Acetobacter. So uh, the next is acetaldehyde, which is a uh, a compound that smells like kind of uh, damaged or bruised apples, sort of, mm-hmm. and it's usually um, produced in a very oxidative environment. So you've got these vinegar-producing bacteria and lots of oxygen, especially like say in a barrel where there's too much air inside the barrel, you'll get some of this. And um, what we were just referencing is we oh, just yeah. we just put together a big uh, blend that was supposed to be a 31-barrel blend, mm-hmm. and in tasting through all 31 barrels, which is more exhausting than, than <laughs> fun. Um, in tasting through everything while making that blend, we identified in our winery one of those barrels, luckily it was just one, that had this acetaldehyde flaw. It was really obnoxious on the aroma, mm-hmm. where all the other barrels smelled like the varietal, in this case, yeah. Grenache, and they smelled like big, fresh strawberry. And this one was like, smelled like uh, smashed up, bruised apples, kind of. And mm-hmm. like, it dulls the fruit and anyways it's just it takes away from the varietal character in this case and so we ended up making the kind of quality control decision to pull that barrel out of the blend um we trialed it with and without and definitely liked it better without and Mm. um so that's but that's kind of down to philosophy like we could have said no this is natural this is just as good we want it in there we chose to say this one barrel is flawed we're going to take a loss on it and make the rest of the blend better This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The, okay, third and last compound that's associated there with the same acetobacter bacteria is uh, ethyl acetate, which smells like nail polish remover or paint thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, that To me, that's nine out of the ten times I've had orange wine, that's what I always get the most. It's like really varnish. hard. Varnish. Yes, like yeah. straight up, yeah, like nail polish remover. Like it's really hard for me to get past that if I'm smelling that first too. And I think a lot of them taste like that just all around. I don't know what it is. I've had some that I'm like, oh, this is good. Right. But I've never had an orange wine that I truly am like, oh my God, I love this. I'm going to buy it. Usually I don't the, know. if you're smelling acetaldehyde or ethyl acetate, you're also going to be tasting some mm-hmm. VA or acetic acid. Um, and uh, because the they're often produced by the same bacteria, just in somewhat differing conditions sometimes. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And so, yeah, I'm like out on those three. There's there's no level at which I'm like, I'm glad this is here. The one caveat I might say is the all wine has kind of certain levels of acetic acid, usually like maybe 0.3 to 0.7 grams per liter equivalent. Um, 
is kind of the normal range. And um, you'll start to notice VA maybe when it rises to 0.9 or 1. Um, the the legal limit, um, I'm fairly certain for red wines, is like 1.4 grams per liter, mm. a little bit lower for whites. So there's even a, yeah, the government even says, like, knock it off. At a certain point, <laughs> you've made vinegar. <laughs> we're sick of it. So those, those are the first three that I think are, are unobjectionable, or they are objectively object- objectionable. <laughs> uh, it's a tongue twister. Uh, next up is cork taint. Yeah, sure. So this is less common than it used to be because the cork makers have gotten better at their jobs, essentially. Um, the compound is 246-trichloroanazole, uh, and it essentially makes a wine smell like wet cardboard. Uh, it's like a dank, musty aroma. and Like a musty cellar, like an animal that's been dead for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and cork taint is um, usually produced by, like, mold... Um, in combination with uh, chlorine. And so um, the reason it's less common now is because any cl- kind of chlorine compounds are, are now that we've recognized this as an industry, um, there's no like chlorine used, say in our winery, we don't have any like chlorine like cleaners around um, in any of the production facility at all, because even like a little bit of chlorine in the air getting, you know, that your wine's exposed to, um, plus the wrong little mold, and you can ha- have this cork taint. And uh, so that one's just just gross and objectionable. Um, okay, next up, and this one, all right, now I'm getting into the range of <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> some controversy. So um, I don't think that much yet. Uh, hydrogen disulfide and other uh, what we call volatile sulfur compounds are the next range of flaws. Um, again, these are on the aroma of a wine. Um, H2S essentially smells like rotten eggs and the other volatile sulfur compounds like um, mercaptans and dimethyl disulfide essentially will smell like uh, cabbage, onions, garlic. And these are all what some people call like reductive aromas. They're produced in a um, anaerobic environment, usually in the latter half of fermentation or just afterwards. And um, this is exactly where like a winemaker should be uh attempting to intervene to prevent this flaw mm. it's there's no grape that comes into the winery with like smelling like rotten eggs ever mm-hmm. this is like definitely a fermentation problem that can lend this uh horrible aroma to wines like the devil's amount of sul- sulfur <laughs> yes <laughs> something and yeah. actually one of the uh one of the huge problems with h2s production is um is actually sulfur application in vineyards, not in the winemaking process. Because sulfur is often, especially in organic vineyards, there's much more sulfur used. Like, um, And if the grower is not communicating with the winemaker and especially sprays any like elemental sulfur on their grapevines, because it can be like anti-mold and mildew, um, within two months of harvest, that sulfur those elevated levels of sulfur will get into the grape juice and then um, can be turned into hydrogen disulfide. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it's usually a problem of either not enough oxygen or nitrogen fermentation or way too much sulfur, but it's preventable with the right practices. So totally preventable and really gross when you (laughs) encounter it, which I never have in our own winery. (laughs) 
Okay, getting more controversial. Next up on my, like, I hate it every single time <laughs> and forever is uh, Britannomyces. Oh, okay. So you'll, you will have winemakers and sommeliers and, like, the, you know, the French, the radicals. They, they will say... <laughs> They Shots will <laughs> try to claim that there's some redeeming quality to Brett or Britannomyces. Well, beer makers especially like lean into the Brett heavy, but yes. we're not making beer. We're making right. wine. Yeah. So I there's, see what you mean. There's two major compounds, um, and I can kind of, I don't know, give the less sciencey version of this, but if if I, I can skip to the, <laughs> the juicy stuff. Essentially, there's <laughs> two different compounds that this, um, what I would call a spoilage yeast, uh, Brett, Britannomyces, can produce in wines, and they will generally give you a range of aromas ranging from, like, latex, band-aid, mm-hmm. weirdly Blech. medicinal, to, like, wet dog, sweaty horse. <laughs> Sheepy. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been around a lot of sheep. But I kept <laughs> reading life? that. No, I kept reading that about <laughs> Brett, and I was like, I don't have sheep experience. <laughs> I know goats. I will say that we both have the same aroma kit that has 88 vials in it that have a whole range of everything from like fruit and vegetable to different flowers and like kerosene. Like, I mean, it's got a whole thing. The last one, the 88th vial is horse sweat. That's what it's called. And it's supposed to be bread. Yeah. It's like undeniable. I have it in the palette on the shelf at the wine shop and one of the girls spilt it. And spilt it in the shop. In the they shop. spilt it in the aroma kit. And oh. so, and you know, it has like a key. It's like a, like an old-fashioned key you can lock. And I have taken the key out of the aroma kit and hidden it. Because now we it's cannot. It's stinking up the whole place. It's stinking up the whole that place. so terrible. And what did you say when I texted Carter, you that's that? nature. But it's oh my not. God, it does not belong <laughs> in the wine shop. It is not a barn. It yeah. is a beautiful. Horses are a part of nature. Yeah, not in my wine shop. <laughs> I have horses. I know. You're, who are you telling? But you, te- I texted you this, and Sarah goes, "Welcome to the Brett Wine Shop." And I was like, <laughs> "Shit!" I've tried this. Well, she key. texted me that, and I was like, "Wait, no way, no way. That's crazy." She was like, "No, it happened. Oh, it's bad." So, like, that's terrible. So, for all of the wine flaws that I've mentioned, um, sorry, faults, not flaws, the Ooh. faults that I've mentioned so far, these are mostly preventable in the winemaking process, especially if you have control over the grape growing and the winemaking process, you can, with a, let's say, a high degree of success, you can avoid any noticeable levels of acetic acid, acetaldehyde, ethyl acetate, cork taint, H2S, and Britannomyces is a little tougher um, than Mm. all the rest I've named. It's a, it's one of the few yeast that can survive in a solution with, you know, over 10% alcohol. Um, at regular wine ABVs, maybe 13 to 15% for reds. Um, Brett is still like, thank you, uh, won't mind. Uh, Brett is, is the, a real pest because it's very hard to eradicate. Sorry. And uh, it loves to colonize like oak barrels. So often wines uh, will come out of fermentation without any issues with Brett, and they can develop them sometimes in the barrel or even in the bottle. Um, and so that's a... Maybe the toughest one we've mentioned to just eliminate from your process. Um, there are certain things like having lower pHs on your wines that are helpful, but yeah, there's no cure all for Brett. Mm. Um, there's a few other like more um, rare flaws. Um, 
one called like geranium taint, one called like uh, ropiness was geranium. just geranium. Like yeah, would that be like that? the flower? Like the flower because it's um, got a very specific scent. That flower. Yes. Yeah. And in wine, that's created by the metabolism of potassium sorbate, which is a compound that used to be more common and is falling out of favor because it's really nasty and. It used to be, it's mm. a, um, it inhibits microbial bacterium and yeast. And so it was used instead of sterile filtration if you were going to like bottle a sweet wine. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's oh. basically lactic acid bacteria that can metabolize that compound that winemakers used to add and then create this horrible geranium smell to the wines, which is usually a fault. And yeah, that's a, that's an example that like, of an addition that I would never consider because it's unnecessary and there's kind of only downsides at this yeah. point. And we just oh. have better tools like sterile filtration if we want to make a sweet wine. Right. Um, and Ropiness? <laughs> yeah, ropiness is like a weird slimy mouthfeel to a wine. Um, it's something I'm not as familiar with, but um, it's it can also be produced by lactic acid bacteria, um, especially like lactobacillus and pediococcus, uh, basically spoilage bacteria. Um, da, 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 da. and uh, there's mousiness, which is mm. I've been waiting for you to mention this one. Really gross. It's a confusing one because um, I I actually failed to identify mousiness in a like intentionally mousy flawed sample. So um, we haven't talked about like perception thresholds varying amongst different people, but that's definitely yeah. the case. Oh yeah. Um, well, and I've been told some people can't even taste it because of the particular like pH and acidity in their saliva. Yes. Ooh. Right? That's crazy. I think that it's, you can't usually taste it at wine pHs, <laughs> but your saliva is much more basic than a very acidic wine. And so it's something that you don't smell and it only mm -hmm. becomes present sometimes on the taste or like the aftertaste of a wine. Yeah. Um, and then it's like you've been eating the family gerbil. <laughs> oh my god my boss says it's like if you could taste puppy breath oh. that's mouse mm. okay. <laughs> um anyways we're getting into some more rare faults and i think maybe the a, a more fun so so for me at least brett is the only one that i've mentioned so far that it would be a little contested there are winemakers out there that will tell you like we intentionally expose some of our wines to brett and we yeah. like what it does in our cellar. And uh, it's hard to tease that apart from, like, we can't get rid of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Honestly. Um, <laughs> okay, so on my list of uh, kind of attributes that can present as flaws, maybe depending on the context or the style of wine, um, first would be oxidation. So mm -hmm. most wines, like, there's going to be some exposure to oxygen, but oxidation uh, as it pertains to wine, generally describes when a wine, um, say for a white wine, it would change maybe from a white to a more brick or orange color if it's not a skin fermented wine. Um, and that's associated with like the dulling of aromas and they sometimes pick up um, more like molasses or nutty aromas instead of like their fresh fruity aromas. What's happened is straightforwardly that oxygen has reacted with a lot of the compounds, especially the aroma compounds in that wine. Doesn't that happen with like heat and light exposure? If you keep like your wine in the car, for instance, it's June in Texas. And I always have to tell people if they're stopping by to get wine in the middle of the day, 
I'm like, your wine's not going to be in your car for very long, is it? Because I, you can't imagine how many people Ugh. have brought their bottles back and said, this tastes terrible. Yeah. Like, how long well, was it in your car? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dumb, dumb. Yeah. And part of that is <laughs> just the, the big temperature swings force, like, more air to get through the cork. Oh, totally. So They'll pop oxidation. out. I yeah. mean, yeah, we've all, yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone who has traveled with wine has experienced that, where the cork starts to actually come out of the bottle. And, I mean, that's a very obvious sign that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you done screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll come back and blame us. That's right. Yes. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, sold do this. that. And I will hold a mirror up to your face and <laughs> say, you are. You're the problem. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Am I the drama? No, you're the drama. <laughs> we don't get to blame our customers enough, but we can do it here. <laughs> right. This is, like, the one opportunity. <laughs> um, so oxidation... Um, is intentionally part of the process if you're making, say, like a Madeira or a Tawny-style port. Um, Which you, we have at VMV. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there we're going like really long periods of time in a barrel. We won't be as uh, religious about topping those barrels up. We're intentionally uh, allowing some controlled oxidation. Whereas for, say, like a, a nice dry Riesling or some nice like fresh white wine, any noticeable oxidation uh, is generally going to be a negative because it, mm. it detracts from the varietal character again that it detracts from what you can smell of that grape and the, the fermentation aromas and, and all the, the stuff you should be smelling yeah um okay here's a controversial one so methoxypyrazines <sighs> I, did, I did not put them on the faults list because in my opinion these can be nice like Sauvignon Blanc Cab Sauv Cab Franc Carmenere a lot of the Bordeaux grapes mm-hmm. have these compounds in them, methoxypyrazines, that will often smell somewhere in the herbal to vegetal spectrum. And maybe the worst uh, aspect of a (laughs) methoxypyrazine could be like canned peas or um, green bell pepper. They can kind of just be more like black pepper spicy, or they could be kind of like grassy herbal as well. And... I feel like a little bit of an herbal note or even sometimes a slight vegetal note in a nice red wine or a, or a Sauv Blanc, something that I'm not totally against. But uh, growers and winemakers do a lot to try to avoid uh, the production of kind of excessive methoxypyrazines because they don't sell well or wines with those don't sell well. Except Rezabal. Um <laughs> Do you remember? I mean, that was like the first. Oh, that rosé. Yeah. Unreal oh bell pepper. That was bell pepper juice. Yeah. I also hate bell peppers. You but what I mean, I've learned is that women are more sensitive to methoxypyrazines than men. Really? Huh. Mm. Huh. Hmm. When I make wine for the dudes. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, the, the pyrazine thing, thing always gets me. Like when we'll taste through wines in our blending trials before bottling, I always pick it up and I'm like, oh, damn it. Everyone else is going to like this, aren't they? <laughs> but it's not, yeah, it can't be. Sometimes it's not bad. If it's like a small amount, it doesn't bother me. But when, like we're saying, that Reservoir, when it, the entire time I'm drinking it, that's oh, yeah. all I'm getting, I'm like, I don't want to drink this. Mm-hmm. I want something fruity. <laughs> but it's subjective because it, it is. Some it sells great. Very favorite wine, yep. like of all time. And I can't name names. Mm-hmm. But like someone that I love loves that wine. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, that should be in kind of the, it's up for discussion, whether, <laughs> whether people like methoxypyrazines or not. And um, they'd be wrong. <laughs> Trash. Well, 
the worst, uh, probably the objectively worst methoxypyrazine is actually derived from like ladybugs. Um, it's sometimes called ladybug taint. Huh. And oh, God. This is a fact. Can if that you, be the name of this episode? Yes. Uh, I think in other parts of the world they call them ladybirds, but um, if you get too many beetles, essentially, because ladybugs are little beetles. Yeah. Um, if you get too many beetles like on your grapes and thus into your crusher and into your wine, oh. you it will, affects the taste. How could it not? And and they those bugs as like a repellent create a methoxypyrazine substance that basically smells like urine. Gross. So pick the beetles out of your grapes, people. <laughs> mm, um, beetles. And then that's okay. That's getting to the end of kind of the common faults and then flaws. The, the other thing that can be discussed as flaws are just wines that are severely unbalanced. Like I think you were referencing um, wines that could be made up of some core components, alcohol, acid, uh, tannin, or any phenolic compounds that create bitterness, um, sometimes sugar or compounds that can create an illusion of sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, and oak can kind of be in the bitter or sweet category. And so if a wine is just like severely, like way too much alcohol, it'd be like kind of like hot on the aroma mm-hmm. and have a burn to it or something. It's way too acidic for the style. Like, so those could start to get in the range of flaws when a wine is just so unbalanced. The grapes were picked way too ripe or way too unripe or something. Um, or the winemaker created it, you know, left it way too sweet or whatever. So that could yeah. be, um, I would just call that like a, a wine I don't like, but not one mm-hmm. that's like technically faulted. Right. I agree. Less argument than I thought. No, I agree with that. I agree with you. Yeah. Great. We're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. I was trying to, <laughs> I thought I would create. He wanted to start he a fight. both of us like. No one wants to fight with me. Is that cool? Is that good? <laughs> no, no one wants to fight with you, Joey. I mean, I usually do. <laughs> mm. But not about that. I forgot one. Oh, here we go. Another fault is um, <coughs> excessive SO2 on the aroma. Oh, mm. sure. Which is like matchsticky, sulfury smells. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's completely and utterly the winemaker's fault. Like what do they do? <laughs> they add too much SO2. <laughs> so there's a little bit of SO2 naturally produced in fermentation. Most, that's right. Yeah. Like most, carbonic maceration. Like all, um, all fermentations, like yeast actually produce up to about 10 parts per million SO2. And then it's common in the industry for winemakers to bump that 10 or so up to maybe 20, 30. When you start getting above 40 parts per million, um, certainly by the time you get to like 50 parts per million of SO2, this is free SO2 we're talking about in a wine, that will rise above the perception threshold. You'll start to smell it in an obnoxious way. Mm -hmm. And so those very low, like below your perception threshold levels of SO2 are super effective at... um, essentially being an antimicrobial. They limit the growth of things like Acetobacter that can turn that wine into vinegar. Um, So those low, like essentially augmenting the natural level of SO2 a little bit can be like super effective at levels below what's going to like start to ruin the aroma or the taste of that wine. But it's just sloppy winemaking to certainly add too much SO2. And and I think part of the natural wine movement is to move away from the use of SO2 in general. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those tools that's incredibly helpful and most winemakers would never give it up or they would give it up and then they go back to using it because they realize Mm. that the commercial implications of making like half vinegar are tough. 
There it is. I was waiting for it. I'm in the, ma- <laughs> the contempt. I'm in the majority. The vast, vast, vast majority. They just won't be <laughs> honest about it. But almost every, like 90 plus percent of wines that are out there and sold in the world um, have some addition of SO2. Hmm, that's fair to say. This what it is. That's my, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so we didn't pick a food, obviously, because talking about all of this stuff makes me lose my appetite. Never eating again. That's right, (laughs) just drinking. What did you say, the family gerbil? (laughs) (laughs) Eating the family gerbil. Thanks for bringing that back up. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. You guys can paint pretty word pictures in your other episodes. This is about the darkness and the mold and the rot and the decay and flaws and faults. the ladybug taint. Yeah. Oh, Oh, we're a mess. (laughs) Um, Okay, but we did pick an album just because we have, uh, you know. A typical format for the show. That's right. That's right. And this this bottle looks sick with one particular album that I have at the wine shop. That is Orville Peck. Have you ever listened to Orville Peck, Joey? No. Oh, gosh. I'm kind of surprised to hear that. He's fantastic. He's got, like, this beautiful, like, Johnny Cash-style, like, voice. And um, he's like a really young, like 34 year old South African mm-hmm. from Johannesburg. Yeah. And, um, but he's like based in Canada now. Um, but he's got like this crazy style that like it's very like leather daddy, like shirtless <laughs> with like a. Um, what, he, now tell us what is a leather daddy? Since it's Pride <laughs> Month, I will take it upon myself to explain yes. what a leather daddy Please. is. You can look it up. Is on this Urban a fault Dictionary. or a flaw at all? <laughs> no, no. Well, <laughs> subjective. <laughs> Depends. It's a matter of taste, um, and I love Orville Peck simply because of his voice. Um, and I love his voice as well. I, I also got to see him live in May. Oh yeah, that was so recent. That's right. He got up on top of the piano and wrote it like a bronco. <laughs> And it's just, he's very queer, so he's, like, a very um, big, like, gay advocate. He comes out in support of, um, like, drag queens. He's been on Dragula numerous times. He has this song called Queen of the Rodeo that's about an affair he had with a drag queen, who I think hot take was Trixie Mattel. Kyle will be listening to this in a couple of months when the episode comes out, and I will have an earful, I'm sure, because I'm sure... (laughs) There's a, a lot of conspiracy theories out there about it. But um, Louisiana Purchase was in the music video, and it was fantastic. So getting back to the album, it's a beautiful, like, red, mm-hmm. very stark uh, red that goes with the bottle beautifully. And then he showed Joey the um, the cowboy hat has, like, these fringe curtains on them. So he's always, he always, has, it always has his face hidden, but he's got these crazy crystal blue eyes. Yeah. Strong chin. He kind of yeah. looks like... Um, He's a very handsome man. Yeah. What's the man? Wesley from A Princess Bride. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> the, the Princess Bride. Yeah. Sure, yeah. He does. Is he not the Dread Pirate Roberts? <laughs> he does have pretty eyes. He does. How he was he does. live? He was great. Yeah? It was such a fun show. Uh, we were, saw him at Stubbs, and I was with... My friend Allie and Andrea and Allie's 14-year-old daughter and her Aww. friend, who had never been to a concert before and smelt weed for the first time. Your first concert? Ever. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And um, this was one of those side effects of my lifestyle where I was up late and bought um, tickets for all of us and texted the group chat and said, hey, bitches, we're going out to see Orville Peck. And the next day when they woke up at a reasonable time, 
uh, Vivian texted me and said, oh, I'm so excited to go see the show. And I was like, oh, we're going to see Orville Peck? <laughs> had no clue. I had done that. But it was like two days after my birthday. It was great. And it was in Austin, so it was a very free, like, safe space. Lots of grown men wearing Daisy Dukes. Nice. And uh, gosh, yeah, it was such a great great show so this the album is just phenomenal doesn't really have much to do i was with listening through it on the way anything. here that, this one song oh roses are falling yeah it sounds like a song from like the 50s or 60s it's so good yeah i actually looked it up because i was thinking is this a cover of a song have i heard this before just i don't know it was just a nice melody yeah he transports you yeah he really does that's a great album so just to keep the uh the marketing side of our our whole setup going um we just needed something to pair with this bottle (laughs) to to market the episode Mm -hmm. um but it's just it's a really great album everyone should listen to it you should too joey and drink this delicious wine that's right y'all still enjoying the flaws not the actual flaws. <laughs> the wine flaws. It's so good. Oh, see, I see what he did there. It's like, do you like flaws? Yeah. Yeah. And let's all think more <laughs> deeply about nature. Ponder our existentialist. Do you have anything else for us, Joey? Um, that's about it, you know. He has this novel just... written in front of him. <laughs> I can't read a lot of my own writing. <laughs> Uh, I can hardly read your handwriting, I I know. The last thing I could read was just, yeah, arsenic is also natural. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun, too. Like, I talk about us doing those wine studies as a group, and it's it's fun sometimes to taste, you know, taste wines with other people. And sometimes it does turn into an argument. We're like, this is flawed. I'm like, no, it's not. It's authentic. It's authentic. (laughs) best well thanks for listening everyone those those were some of our thoughts those were some (laughs) of our thoughts also i will give joey credit he's the one that came up with the name for our show he did because we couldn't decide on anything and then i texted him and i imagined him like texting me really fast and then just like laughing in his like chair in the office and like maybe did a twirl like "Ah, exactly so funny and i was like guess what oh and (laughs) that's the name of our show yeah when you told me i was like that's it we are never going to come up with anything better than that (laughs) so thank you joey and after all i did for you guys i was still bad mouthed on this program (laughs) Oh, my God. And I trust that my appearance today has put an end to it all. Never. We just set the record straight. Feedback, man. (laughs) Can't grow with that feedback. Anyway, (laughs) so as always, everyone, thank you for listening so much. Grab your favorite record, a good old big old glass of wine like this Magnum we have today. Let's have some fun. I was going to work out after this. I'm like drunk. You definitely can't do that. We're going to go eat after this. (laughs) And you're not invited. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to some of our thoughts. Cheers. Cheers.